Hi everyone, I'm Mimi Nicklin, and this is Secrets of the Gap, a podcast where we will be delving into the secrets and stories of the global empathy gap from workplaces and society. With your time in mind, each episode is only 20 minutes, with the goal of connecting with fascinating people from across the globe to look at the wide-reaching impact of the empathy deficit that is affecting our businesses and our lives today. We will be discussing the value of emotional intelligence and empathy, and given our experience of 2020 so far, well, I believe this conversation couldn't be better timed. Welcome to a new episode of Secrets of the Gap. I'm thrilled you joined us. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Secrets of the Gap. Today, my guest Mark Sham is here all the way from Johannesburg in South Africa. He's an entrepreneur, a speaker, a writer, and the founder of the most phenomenal company or organization called Suits and Sneakers, which is changing the face of education all over the place and really, really exciting. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to Secrets of the Gap. And thank you. What a beautiful, uh, concise opening. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I've been spending time looking at what you've been up to in the last few years and some really, really inspiring work. Um, for those listeners who don't know much about Suits and Sneakers, about what you stand for, perhaps you could just do a little bit of an introduction to what you've been up, up to and how the last six months have rolled out for you in 2020. And then we'll get into the meat of the conversation. Happily. Um, so I think I'd like to give you a few different points that come together very quickly. Um, I don't come from a formal educated background. I actually got kicked out of my, my last year of uh, schooling when I was 17. That led me onto the path of entrepreneurship. Um, I don't really recommend that path so young to most people. <laughs> but, you know, the upside to it is that you, you start throwing many darts at the dartboard from young. You learn lots of lessons. It's really the best way to learn. Um, somewhere along the line, I found my niche in the form of sales and marketing. Uh, I did that for a number of years until I realized that I'm actually not a, a marketer at heart. I just, I'm, I'm, good at, I'm good at the skill of marketing, but it's not really what I wanted to do with my life. And as I started to make more money in my 20s, I started to invest in different businesses and grow different businesses. And I, I realized that one of the, the ways that I found success in many different um, industries was that I would use the internet to trawl and understand the world at large. And so about five years ago, um, I decided to make a career shift into this business called Suits and Sneakers. And the thinking was, hey, thanks to the internet, we can now learn anything, anywhere, anytime at virtually no cost. And so this is a, an incredible way to hack the system of value creation. And I wanted to teach other people how to do it because I think we're still a little bit obsessed with the idea of uh, certification, you know, and accreditation. Like if it doesn't come with a certificate, it's not valuable. And that's simply not true. And so the thinking with the name was that the future of learning would be a blend between formal and informal learning suits and sneakers. It's been the most phenomenal journey over the last five years uh, in many different spaces, which I'm sure we'll get into. But then of course, COVID hit uh, in March and, uh, I had relocated from South Africa to the UK about two years ago. I was still busy building up that side. When COVID hit, it put me in a predicament. Where should I go? What should I do? Especially because a, a lot of our business was based on uh, face-to-face events, and I am a speaker. So a lot of the stuff I was doing was face-to-face, and so I had to come back to Johannesburg and adapt, uh, rebound, work out where to from here. 
So now you've been in Johannesburg for six months. So for winter, really, you were back back at home. Yes, the joke is that I, I thought I was coming back for six weeks and I've been here for six months because they closed our borders. I was really looking forward to the European summer. So, um, but it is, it's one of those things. Um, it's probably been the, one of the most painful times of my life because every aspect of my life was disrupted genuinely, but at the same time, probably one of the most rewarding times of my life because as I keep being reminded that pain is a precursor for growth, if you choose. And, uh, that's, the pain has led to some incredibly valuable lessons and just rewards, I guess. And tell me, so, I mean, you know, you mentioned there your business is based on face-to-face. And, and one of the things that I get asked all the time as a specialist in empathy is, can we empathize? Can we connect over, over Zoom, over a screen? And my answer is yes, uh, we can. Of course, it's not the same. And there's, there's various tips and tricks to doing that. But how have you found that? adapting to a screen, adapting to sharing your message, which is a very inspiring message. It's about learning. It's about growth. It's about success. In those six months, what's your take on that? Can we empathize? Can we connect over screens? And how has that changed in your in your space? I mean, I think the short answer is absolutely yes, you can. But there's a caveat, as you mentioned. It's, it's a very different skill set. You know, in fact, as I'm speaking to you right now, we, we, we built a studio, a webinar podcasting studio uh, inside of a WeWork here in Johannesburg. So right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually not looking at my laptop screen. I'm looking at a cold camera. Uh, you're kind of down here somewhere, right? And I'm looking at it because this is a, a great setup. So it's a different skill set entirely to be here talking to a cold camera. But I think that the future will bring us back to a hybrid of the two. And the skills that you've gained from doing this will mm-hmm. actually make you a better version of yourself uh, in, the, in the flesh. I think you can absolutely empathize with people for sure. You just have to appreciate that this is an entirely different skill set. And whenever you try to learn something new at the beginning, you feel silly, it feels uncomfortable and awkward. But once you get your head around it, absolutely. But this brings about what you lack in, I guess, that face-to-face visceral touch. You gain incredible scalability um, and just freedom in, in how easy it is to access so many more people. So I think there's trade-off both ways. Yeah, I agree totally. And it's, it's something, again, because I talk about empathy and, and emotional intelligence and all of these things. I was asked this morning on the radio actually here in Dubai, you know, how has your book launch been when you've not been able to do any of the things that normally you do, you know, book tours and all those types of things? Um, And I said a very similar thing, which is you have to adapt to the digital world. What you gain in scale, you do lose in that kind of tactile, real world um, experience. So I'm with you. I hope that we find a a hybrid eventually when the world starts to, to rebalance. But let's talk a little bit about suits and sneakers. You've talked about education, the amalgamation of formal and and perhaps informal or more conversational learning. Um, What is it that you're teaching? So when your students, if that's the word you use, um, are coming to your talks, are coming to your your seminars and they're learning, what types of skills are they taking away and why do you think those are important? Well, I think it's important to, to reflect on how much the world has shifted in the last 20 years, 50 and 100 And it's also important to understand that originally the schooling system or the formal education system was predominantly designed to answer the needs of the industrial revolution. That's not news to anyone. But also at the time, what they were really trying to do is help 
young people prepared to be more valuable in the future. And so I look at formal education with a, a double-edged sword as such because I think every great thing we have today in this world is as a result of the formal education system and the way we trained young people back in the day. But if you actually look at many facets of the formal education system, you'll see that it's really preparing uh, young people to be successful 20 or 30 years ago. It's not mm -hmm. teaching you what's valuable in the future. So, you know, Suits and Sneakers has tried to take on the, the mantle of let's first understand what the future looks like. Let's understand the context of what is needed to be to thrive in the future. And those skills are such a variety of things because, of course, on one end, they're business related. But what we're seeing more and more is that the future is requiring people to change and move on a dime. And that actually gets more and more difficult as people get older because we love to settle into routine, habit, and structure. So actually, the skills that I think we are trying to impart on the world at large are much more psychological than they are just um, you know, raw skills. And there's a place for that. So if you ask me, what do we teach at Suits and Sneakers? Well, we teach kind of everything because the motto is, will this event, will this topic or subject help you be successful in the future? Yes or no? And if it, the answer is yes, then we'll do it. But I think more and more as I've gotten older, I've seen that we've gravitated much more toward the psychological aspect of life. Because again, the schooling system teaches you many valuable things, but it misses many valuable things. It doesn't teach you about happiness. It doesn't teach you about relationships with others or your relationship with pain or empathy or, I mean, there's a myriad of things, right, that I could keep going on. And, and when you actually look at how at different times in the world, the problems that we are facing really come down to these lacks of skills and not your inability to understand social media or Excel training etc. So, you know, that's more and more we've just gravitated toward what are the, the way I can succinctly put it is we are trying to create content that teaches you who to be instead of what to think. I love that. And that's exactly why I invited you on today for that last little bit that you said there, because I think you and I see the world really similarly in that way, in that these skill, these emotional skills, these abilities psychologically to understand each other, right, is fundamentally what makes us human. That's what makes us grow. That's what makes us thrive as a, as a society. And so often that's being lost. And you're right that the formal education system doesn't teach empathy, creativity, communication skills, listening, how to listen to each other, how to understand each other. I wonder what you think, Mark, because this year, right, has been tumultuous all over the world. You know, we've obviously we've had a, a global pandemic um, but we're also seeing, you know, ruptures in the US with Black Lives Matter and elections changing things and all kinds of um, conflict going on in society around the world. You know, given your experience with teaching groups of young people, you know, people that want change, South Africans, I'm sure on the whole, who are a young nation of, you know, go-getters that want to see a different future. How have you seen the receptiveness to these types of skills to emotional intelligence, to empathy, to connectivity. Do you think that the youth are ready for this or the younger people are ready for this? And, and how have you seen that shifting? I mean, I think it's a difficult one to answer and I would want to sit on the fence there and split it into two. I think on one end, there's a, a renaissance happening within the world because 2020 brought about it with it a pandemic, but a reset and it brought about pain across the board. Uh, there was a beautiful saying that that I saw not too long ago that said, we're not all in the same boat, but we definitely are in the same storm. 
I think that's true. Like everybody at some levels felt pain. There are definitely being varying degrees of pain that people have felt. And with pain comes, an, you know, a, not just a reset, but a, a reminder of what's important, et cetera. And so you can actually see the difference between the people who have been putting the work into themselves psychologically, mentally, emotionally before COVID and those who weren't. Because the ones who were, even though they experienced some level of pain, they rebounded very quickly. They saw this as an opportunity for growth. They saw this as opportunity and, and really jumped on it. And other people kind of just sat back. They fell into victimhood. You know, they they became bitter and moaned about everything. So I think that's becoming apparent. I mean, just as a practical example, if you use social media as a perfect example, you can see on a day-to-day basis, just by looking at your newsfeed, who, which are the people that have like really jumped into this pandemic with both hands, appreciating the pain, but like using it as an opportunity for growth. And you can see those are just bitter. So it's very aware. But then I would say on the other side that oftentimes what happens in the world at large is that people don't know what they don't know. But the, the trend, I think especially thanks to the internet, because we have this ability to share information with each other at a speed that we've never seen before, for that reason alone, you're seeing an awakening of these skills. You're seeing certainly the, the problems are becoming front and center uh, to the masses. And then, of course, there's all sorts of people trying to rectify and solve those problems. So, yes, I think there is something to it. I think people are recognizing the importance. But if you are someone who's been conditioned a certain way for 30 years, it's very hard to unwind that. Uh, so something yeah. else has happened in your life for you to want to move from that place. For sure. And, and you mentioned earlier in our chat today, you know, we're creatures of habit. So change is difficult for us. And, and you know, someone asked me recently, did I think that the change was sustainable? Because as creatures of habit, once lockdowns finish and borders open, will we all revert back to exactly where we were, you know, prior to having gone through some of that pain and some of those some of those changes? You mentioned um, social media. And of course, a lot of the pain, a lot of the negativity that we see in the world today sits on social media, right? We've got cyberbullying and abuse and, and all of these things. On the other side, you've got people like you and I who are using social media to spread a message to reach people. Do you think, so a million dollar question, because people ask me all the time, so now it's your turn. Um, do you think social media is part of the problem, part of the problem of this sort of the pain that's in the world, the the anger, the bitterness that's going around? Is it the platforms? I don't know if you've watched The Social Dilemma recently on Netflix, but, yeah. you know, is it, is it tech's fault? Is it social media's fault? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I've thought about this immensely and I have a very subjective view and that is, no, I don't think that social media is the problem. And I think that we love to externalize our happiness in the same way we love to externalize our problems. And social media is just a tool, uh, contrary to what the social dilemma says. In fact, I found it quite ironic and, and slightly hypocritical of the social dilemma to come out and use the exact same tactics that social media, you know, is apparently using to create the hype. But be that as it may, I understand, I think that social media is simply doing what all forms of marketing have been trying to do. They're trying to persuade you to use their product for longer. I mean, if you aren't aware of that, you really do need a, a helping hand to understand this in a better way. That said, it is somewhat of an atomic bomb as a tool. Do you know what I mean? It's very powerful. It's accentuating in a deeply powerful way what's already there. Human beings will find a way to bully if they want to. They will find a way to add value if they want to. You and I use it to try um, share value on a scalable level. Other people use it to stalk 
uh, bully, etc. It's just a tool. And I, I think to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater would be short-sighted for us. I think more than ever, it just simply highlights how many aspects of humanity is broken because you've had broken people raising broken people for the longest time. But again, I think thanks to the internet and technology and tools, we finally have the ability to quantify the skills, the values, and the the emotional tools that people need to become better versions of themselves. And I think the internet is doing far more more good than it's doing bad. And of course, some subsectors use it in a negative way. But again, that's people for you. You know, they will always exploit, you know, is is eating um, any form of food bad? No, but if you eat 40 kilograms of it every sitting, that's not ideal. I mean, I think it's kind of social media is the same thing. Should we, because we have people who are obese in the world as an example, and you have some people who abuse food, and I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to say, because the, those people, should we just cut food? Do you know, we should we say that all food is bad? Food in itself is powerful. Social media is powerful. So I think we just love to externalize our problems, and I just can't buy into that. Because then I feel like we are taking away from our power to fix things. So for the social dilemma and code to simply blame uh, tech on this, I don't know. But it doesn't mean they're without fault, obviously. I don't know. You, you agree? You disagree? I'd love to just... Yeah. No, uh, thank you. I do agree um, to much of what you just said. In fact, it's, I wrote about it in my book um, and said a very similar thing, which is I see these platforms as exactly that, their platforms. And we've always had a platform, right? We've always written books. We, when we were cavemen, we drew pictures on walls. We've always had platforms to communicate our stories. And as human beings, they tend to be stories of joy or sadness and somewhere along that, along that sort of continuum, right? So I'm with you. I think they are just platforms. And I think for as long as we sort of, you know, make them the, the enemy, um, we're actually ignoring, as you said, the bigger picture here, you know, the problems with humanity. And, and for me, the social dilemma, given my specialism, that's really what I took away from that, which is that we just have insurmountable, it feels, problems on a grand scale as human beings. And that's why, you know, I really love what you're doing with Suits and Sneakers, which is to elevate the conversation around some of these skills that's going to dig us out of that. Um, I want to end in the last couple of minutes talking a little bit about South Africa, because you've been there for the last six months. I've lived there a very long time. It's my Real passion market. Um, of course, we cannot cover the problems that South Africa has in, in two and a half minutes. But from a human point of view, and obviously you've now spent some time in Europe as well, um, do you think that there's an empathy deficit sitting in South Africa from a, a social and cultural point of view? Obviously, that's a term that President Obama coined in, in 2006. So it's a global phenomenon. But how do you see it there? Is it changing What's your perspective on, on the empathy deficit in, in South African society? Yeah, South Africa is such a complicated place. If you've ever been here, in your case, you've lived here, you have this most beautiful nation. And I don't mean that I actually get goosebumps like talking about it. I, South Africa is such a beautiful nation. Our people are warm and friendly. And yet we live in this low-grade version of PTSD within our society. It started from the apartheid era. And then I think there's a bunch of stuff that we never solved. Again, we, we kind of collectively as a nation got to 1994. You know, we all looked at each other and said, look, we're really sorry for all the things we did to each other. Can we just drop it? But we didn't do the work to actually solve the underlying issues, I think. So we still sit with a modern version of apartheid in the form of our structures. Uh, and it's just unsustainable. The high levels of inequality are unsustainable. But every person, 
I think we, we weren't taught to deal with each other's differences. This stems all the way from pre-apartheid. And so in the center, in the middle, you have South Africans that are great people who want to see a better version of this country take place. You have so many warm and helpful people. I think we realize because of the problems that we face, and I must say that I'm not a fan of our government at all. I've been very vocal about that. I love our country. I'm just embarrassed by the people who run the place. Because of that, you have a lot of people becoming active citizens. And so on one end, it's so beautiful to see that. But then on the other end, there's deep pain and deep suffering that hasn't that hasn't been resolved. And if you look at our high crime levels and just the, the violence, the violent nature that, of things that happens in South Africa, it tells you that hurt people are the ones who hurt people and we haven't fixed these problems. So we have a real eclectic mix of all the extremes here in South Africa. And I don't know what my advice is sometimes, you know, like I, I think when you, when you move or whether you come here, you are giving up something and you are gaining something. So it really depends on your value system. Um, will depend on if you are able to deal with some of the things that exist here versus if you are willing to go. I, I'm a nomad, much like you, so I don't want to talk about moving. I, I, I've set up different bases around the world. I don't want to be stuck in one place. That's the only reason I left South Africa. Well, thank you for that that summary. I think you're right. It is a beautifully eclectic country, um, full of you know really just complex balances within within that human understanding, different types of, of realities across just a huge expanse of beautiful land. So, Mark Sham, thank you very much for joining me today and for sharing some of those perspectives, both from South Africa and, of course, from your global business point of view. And I hope that we can continue the conversation. But thank you for joining me today. Yeah, and thank you so much for creating the platform and best of luck with everything you're doing. I equally did a bit of uh, research out about you and I just love people who are going for it, who are literally putting their hands up to be counted. That's you. What a machine. What a legend. Well done. Thank you so much. To everyone that tuned in today, this was Mark Shan. You can find him all across the internet and LinkedIn. Have a look at what he's doing on Suits and Sneakers and check it out because this really is education on a revolution. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. So that's it for today. If you'd like to further join the conversation, I'm often on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and all the links follow my name. My new book, Softening the Edge, is now out and available to buy on Amazon globally, as well as locally in stores and online around the world. Find out about stores in your country and sign up to my new newsletter on my website, www.miminiklin.com. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you tuning in today. And until next time, have a great week. Bye.